If you are in the 81% of aspiring authors out there, stop aspiring and start writing with Readsy. Readsy allows indie authors to find and work with the best publishing professionals, from developmental editors to book cover designers to publicists. Just sign up for an author profile, browse the extensive marketplace of professionals, find the best fit for your project, and set a collaboration in motion. And with built-in contracts, protection, and mediation from Readsy, finding qualified freelancers, editors, designers, and marketers as a self-published author just got a lot easier. Go to readsy.com today to sign up and set your first collaboration in motion. That's R-E-E-D-S-Y dot com. There's distinct stages and you should expect those stages, challenges and setbacks. I still don't really understand how I do it. It's going to be work and you're going to suffer for your art. (laughs) That sort of story is inspirational to a lot of wannabe writers out there who feel they have a book in them but are living a totally different life at the moment. And and the answer to that, I think, is both. You know, it's going to be exciting, you're going to have breakthroughs, and you're also going to suffer and have setbacks, and that's all part of the same journey. Taking a book the whole nine yards, from an idea in your head to words on a page, from a scribble on a napkin to a listing on Amazon, that's easier said than done. But it's also easier than you'd think. I'm your host, Casimir M. Stone, and this is Readsy's Bestseller, the podcast demystifying the process of self-publishing a book for aspiring novelists everywhere, one episode at a time. This is Season 4, Chapter 1, Framing Your Mind. The 2010s were all about heroes. Marvel, DC, primatologists played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who majored in jumping across skyscrapers. Lately, it's just been something we, the popular collective culture, like to think about, and watch, and play, and read. But when we think about heroes, we're thinking about Iron Man, God rest his soul. Typically, we're not thinking about former journalists turned literal creativity professors like Tim Sigelski, the self-published author of The Creative Journey and our subject this season. Yeah, my name is Tim Sigelski. Most authors have probably read a blog post or two about The Hero's Journey, the narrative structure used to write everything from Finding Nemo to The Odyssey, with examples from one of any number of the Disney blockbusters and best-selling novels that make gratuitous use of it. But the line between fact and fiction isn't always that clear, and principles useful to fiction writers are equally useful in nonfiction, too. You know, I use the hero's journey as the framework for this, kind of just like I found early on in my writing that it's more fun when you have techniques in a framework. Um, Same thing with writing a book, is you need techniques in a framework. When we last left off, Tim had just finished a creative journey that landed him in front of a classroom at Marquette University, ready to teach a class on creativity that didn't exactly exist yet. And so a new journey began. You know, I really wanted this to be a guidebook and something that people would not just read, but be able to apply. There's reflections in there. There's actions to take. And so it's people aren't just like, oh, that's a nice you know, concept about creativity, but something they could actually do and apply and you know, treat it almost like in, like a course. By definition, nonfiction is content that teaches information with truth and accuracy. But while nothing is impossible to teach, creativity comes pretty freaking close. How daunting was that to be like, okay, how do I teach creativity? Oh my God, it was, it was really rough. You know, I rewrote my syllabus like 200 times. 
So how did Tim eventually organize his own expansive ideas about creativity and present them in a way that makes sense to everyone else? It turns out the solution to helping yourself and others is in structure. You know, the thing that, that helped me was I fell back on my journalism training and I had each chapter <clears throat> correspond to the who, what, when, where, why, or how. So what is structure? This is a self-publishing advice podcast, not how I built this. So we're talking narrative structures here first and foremost. The hero's journey, the three-act model, Dan Harmon's story circle, at all. And Reedsy has a blog post on each, so clearly they're pretty big deals. I'll drop a link in the show notes so you can see for yourself. But structure is a big deal in nonfiction, too. The most common listicle advice for NF authors out there is a simple structure called the three W's. What is it about? Who is it for? And why does it matter? You'll also see lists like the 48 Laws of Power or themes like Sedaris's Holiday on Ice. But whatever the case in nonfiction, it's less important what framework you use as long as you use one even if that means one that's straight up fictional. I was like, well, what if you took the stages of the hero's journey, adapted them, you know, um, into different ways, and then find stories that illustrate each one of those uh, from this moment of like seeing a problem, uh, crossing the threshold, uh, you know, finding your friends and your allies, finding mentors, uh, acting like a kid, you know, kind of regressing, but then using that to move forward, um, and on and on and on, all the way till you get to the very end, which is taking your new creation, returning to where you started with, and sharing what you now know as this transformed, changed person. Uh, so, in a nutshell, that's basically how I took all of these different free-floating concepts of creativity and attached them to different stages of a journey, and then with each of those stages of the journey, finding uh, a a couple of stories that would illustrate why that's a powerful way to move forward in your journey. Of course, when Tim says he used the hero's journey to structure his book, he doesn't mean it follows a single protagonist through the 12 stages of the monomyth, like it might in fiction. It is structured in 12 chapters. They just won't look familiar. Not even to Joseph Campbell stands. One of the things about the hero's journey is even though it has these distinct stages, it would be very boring if every hero's journey looked exactly the same. Each chapter of the creative journey is roughly aligned with the stages we covered last week. But although chapter one, for instance, does address the reader in the ordinary world pre-creative process, it is instead titled See the Problem, after the prerequisite we were just talking about. Before taking on a creative project, like say writing a nonfiction book, it is important to know what problem you are trying to solve and who you're solving it for. From there on out, the chapters only deviate more. So in kind of all the stages of the book, I, you know, I took some liberties in terms of how does the hero's journey apply to what I know? Um, and it kind of goes back to the idea of like, write what you know. Um, so I didn't just strictly say, you know, you have to cross the threshold and this is how you cross the threshold. I labeled my chapter go. Um, I'm a runner, I'm a biker, so I want to talk about the importance of being active in the creative process. Applying what you know is key for teachers and, by extension, nonfiction writers. Who would want to learn something from you that you don't already know? In fact, it's so important that it became part of Tim's structure. Before assigning a creative principle to each stage of the journey, he made sure to only give advice he took himself. And 
most of that advice happened to come from his creative journey, writing the creative journey. It really was just a matter of convenience um, to start with is, you know, my kids were at swim lessons or I was walking my dog and um, it was just the most convenient (laughs) uh, method to get my thoughts down. In his second chapter, Tim takes crossing the threshold at face value. He basically argues that movement stimulates creativity, both scientifically and anecdotally. But to test his own advice, Tim needed to give it a spin himself first. Literally, as we'll talk about next episode, but also figuratively, using dictation, an option that's now available to all authors, whether through the industry standard Dragon Naturally Speaking or Apple and Google's built-in options. You know, I, I couldn't say like what percentage was dictated, um, but I talk about that in the book as well, about how, how walking is a way to stimulate creativity. And so even if you're jotting down ideas and maybe an outline or brainstorming, movements just help stimulate, you know, thought and creativity. Uh, so I was kind of practicing what I preached there, obviously, is, uh, you know, um, both moving, dictating and getting thoughts down. It's probably worth seeing for yourself, but Tim found dictation to be yet another creative tool that works better with a little structure. Basically, it's best for generating ideas and rough drafts, not polished final products. But there's also, as I kind of talk about in the book, there's a place for sort of freewheeling uh, brainstorming, and then there's a place for sitting down, getting stuff done, and focusing. And for Tim, like many of us, freewheeling came much easier than sitting down and focusing. You know, it's it's always fun at the beginning of the journey when like anything could anything is possible and anything could happen, and then it's like you just got to buckle down. You just have to finish. Like there's only one destination at this point. Now I just have to focus. Getting stuck after the fun part of writing is hashtag relatable. Brainstorming is like creativity catnip, but once our ideas are all down, we have to make them actually make sense, to ourselves at least, if not immediately, to everyone else. By the time Tim got to chapter 7, the same stage ironically in which the hero approaches their greatest challenge yet, he'd hit a wall. He had some great advice on creativity, but he had no idea how to fit it into the structure he was working with. There's no stage in the hero's journey called Act Like a Kid. In his chapter titled Act Like a Kid, Tim recounts an old interview with Lois Ehlert, cattle cot winner and illustrator of Chicka Chicka Boom Boom, using her as an example of how thinking like a kid can produce the best creativity. But at first... Tim had no idea how to get this idea across, so he fell back on what he knew. He couldn't communicate his advice, so instead, he took it himself. You know, I mean, that's what helped me get through, like, the stages where you're stuck, where you're like, okay, what stage am I I in right now, and um, what do I have to do next? Um, The the kid stage certainly helped. It was like my life every single day. I'm trying to write a book, I'm trying to edit a book, and then my kids will interrupt me. (laughs) They'll they'll want to play, they'll want to (laughs) draw. And the adult in me is like, I don't want to do that. I have things to do. And then, like, as I'm telling myself, like, okay, the kid who's, like, talking to me in front of me reminds me that sometimes creativity just needs to, you know, you need to make time for that. You need to prioritize that before you can get to the end. Tim's own advice on creativity helped him get unstuck in his own creative process. But more than that, having a structure to fit it into helped him to clarify the idea he was trying to convey and why it was important to the people he was trying to convey it to. Here's what happens, and here's why I called it that. The hero always fails after the first obstacle, or at least um, 
has a setback or something that didn't go right, um, something they need to learn. And so what do they do? They don't immediately learn, oh, this is how I should do it differently next time. Usually what happens is they retreat and kind of take two steps backwards before taking another step forward. You use the example of like the Lion King. Initially, Simba, like, you know, he wants to be king. You know, he sings like, I can't wait to be king. And when things don't go as planned, he runs away and adopts the, you know, Hakuna Matata mentality. And I'm just going to live for today. I'm going to act like a, like a kid. I'm going to eat bugs. I have no responsibilities. This is who I am. You know, you have to go back to that sort of protective, like, I'm learning, I'm making mistakes, I'm failing, and that's okay stage before you can ultimately accept responsibility. Um, and so I have two kids. They're now age six and nine. And as I was writing this over the last, like, you know, three or so years, like, they're acting like kids. They're making mistakes. They're, they're not acting like adults, but through that, they're learning a lot. And they're being very creative because they're trying things. They're copying. They're learning from others. So I saw that in front of me, and I saw my own students, and you know these students were really trying to act like college students are really trying to act like adults. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> right. they're trying to learn like how do I how do I fit into this adult world that I'm going to go into in a couple of years, and they need permission. At least I think they need permission. We all need permission to say it's okay to act like a kid before you act like an adult. That's how you learn. That's how you be creative. That's how you make mistakes, but learn from those mistakes. And that, in a nutshell, is the power of structure. Tim understands more than anyone how creative the human brain is. We each connect dots and find solutions in unique processes that no one else would be able to replicate. But that means our ideas are often impossible for others to follow, at least not without a guide. That's where structure comes in. By building his book around a pre-existing framework, fitting his own creative strategies from years of professional writing into it, and then practicing them while writing his book, Tim was able to experience his book through the reader's eyes. A structure gave Tim rules to follow, and by following his own rules, he could see firsthand just how effective they would be for others. It's so valuable to remind yourself, like, you know, this isn't just an academic exercise. I'm not just writing this book to write the book. You know, throughout the book, I sprinkle all these, like, action steps and reflections because it's supposed to be something that you do in your life. You don't just read about. And so, so I'm like, well, I have to do this myself. You can't just think something, you have to do it. You have to practice it in order for it to um, take root. So here I am writing this book and be like, well, I'd be a hypocrite if I don't play with my own kid <laughs> while he wants to play and be creative. That was definitely one of those times where the actual material of the book was, was I'm writing it as I'm doing it. But rules aren't always meant to be followed. And those are Tim's words for the record, not mine. By chapter nine of his book, the stage at which the hero traditionally receives their reward, Tim advocates breaking the rules, which I guess to many college students would be a reward. Since Tim's success stemmed from both following structural rules and following his own advice, this seemed to me a catch-22. So I had to ask Tim how he knew when to follow and when to lead. I think it shows up almost more in the way I teach this class. I both broke rules and followed rules. Uh, one thing I learned about like students especially this generation, is they really like structure. So I had to make my syllabus very clear. I had to make the learning outcomes very clear and, and then go about in maybe creative different ways how they would learn it. So we took lots of field trips. We went to the Harley-Davidson Museum. Um, on the very first day of class, 
we went to um, the the gross anatomy lab, which is a cadaver lab. <laughs> a very, very, very unconventional way to start a class, sure. and one that was very risky. And uh, in the course evals, I hear from students like, this was not at all what I expected, but in a good way. <laughs> like, <laughs> this class was very different than any other class I took. And I learned like, you know, lifelong lessons I didn't think I would learn in school or get in this way. You know, I, in the book, it talks about, you know, following rules first and learning rules and then breaking them. And I found like, you know, you, you, you kind of, you know, you, you, you play with that a little bit. Sometimes you can, you can follow a rule a little bit and then break it quick and then go back to the rules. Um, sometimes you start with breaking the rules and then realize that maybe it was better to follow them all along. Um, it's not super linear. It's more like circular. Um, where you break and follow, break and follow, and see which which approach works best in each scenario. This was Tim's most important advice when it comes to writing your own book. Just like our own ideas can be hard for others to follow, it's unlikely you'd see two people take the same creative path to success. In other words, you're probably not going to walk away from this episode planning to write a book on creativity in 12 chapters for each stage of the hero's journey. But like Tim said... By learning the rules, you can know when to follow them and when to break them. And the best way to understand how to structure your own success is to understand how others structured theirs. Or, for that matter, their failures. Like previous versions of the book where I was trying to do something maybe a little more avant-garde, I tried tried to do the book like in media res. Um, I took a few more risks in like narrative and then subsequently like reading it back later i'm like okay it's probably just better just to have a more traditional approach that people can identify with first and then break some rules and try to do things different ways yes predictably the hero's journey was not the first structure tim tried for his nonfiction book in fact it wasn't even the only one he wound up using i don't even remember how but i also found the concept of the uh the different intelligences the howard gardner um, different theory of intelligences. And so I made that part of the framework as well. And that's still on the book to this day in, in a smaller format. Uh, but at the time, I was like, I just need something to grasp onto. And so I just defaulted to um, a framework that I probably just stumbled upon and then one that I knew very well because I was trained on it. There are so many frameworks out there. Some authors prefer structures that define the book, like T.E. Lawrence's Seven Pillars of Wisdom. Other authors prefer structures that are more for themselves than their readers, like a visual map of how their ideas connect, or an outline summarizing the purpose of each chapter. But in the end, any and all structure is helpful for readers, so the best you can do is understand the rules of each and determine which is best for you. If I was writing the book today, it may actually look different. <laughs> you know, it, may, it would look different because I have different creative inputs now. And so all of the chapters were really relevant to me at that point in my life. Tim's creative journey might look different today, but it's clear why it turned out the way it did. The chapters reflected not only the advice he was giving to others, but the advice he was taking himself. Which raises one final question. Why is structure so conducive to nonfiction and to teaching and, in essence, to learning? I think I talk about in the book um, this idea of the adjacent possible. If you, if you present something too radical or too out there, people just can't, they don't have a foundation to understand it. But if you take something that they're already familiar with and put a twist on it, something different about there, they can immediately apply their mindset to like, oh, I understand that. 
it's like this, but different. <laughs> it's like this, but they changed something. You know, as humans, um, our brains are just taught to constantly categorize and model and understand things from what we already know. Um, I don't think I use the word heuristics in the book, but like that's what it is. This, you know, this idea of I understand this because I've been there before. It's familiar, but familiar is boring. So if you can take familiar and then extend it and make it, you know, so it's, it's more creative and it's different than just the everyday, ordinary world. And super or otherwise, every hero knows that the ordinary world is a lot less boring when you return to it with the elixir. And that's what you feel like you, you were doing with the, the hero's journey? Yeah, exactly. So whether we, know, we call it that, we know it's that, or you know, we have any exposure to that theory, we all intuitively recognize it because it's embedded in our age-old myths, our bedtime stories, our books, our classic literature, and you know, our modern-day movies and TV series. So take that structure and then tweak it and then add this framework on top of it about creativity and people are like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I can understand it. <laughs> but in nonfiction, figuring out how to tell your own story is only half the battle. Next week, we explore the fine line between storytelling, stealing, and slander. So a big breakthrough moment for me was realizing that I have a lot of stories to tell. I've met a lot of interesting people. Um, I should figure out how those people can fit into this idea of creativity in lots of different paths in lots of different ways. Brought to you by Reedsy, this is Bestseller. Over the course of this season, we'll follow an indie author's journey from start to finish in five chapters, exploring each step it takes to turn real life into a compelling read. Next up is season four, chapter two, Facts and Fiction. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by me, Casimir M. Stone. If you liked it, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Our guest this season is Tim Sigalski. You can purchase his book, The Creative Journey, on Amazon. And you can check out his other works of nonfiction on Twitter at C-I-G-E-L-S-K-E, on Medium at T-E-E Cycle Tim, and at a variety of other outlets, including Runner's World, The AV Club, and Reedsy Discovery. This podcast, like so many self-published books out there, is made possible by Reedsy, a marketplace that connects indie authors with the tools that traditional publishing houses would usually provide, such as editors, book cover designers, and publicists. You can learn more about Reedsy on Instagram at Reedsy underscore HQ, on Twitter at Reedsy HQ, or online at R-E-E-D-S-Y dot com. <laughs>